Well, welcome to Sunday. Today is going to be a very special day, and I'm excited that you guys are here on Labor Day weekend to experience it. As you've seen, there's life groups that are going to be happening in the next couple of weeks. That sign-up starts next week on September 8th. Vision Weekend is next weekend. You will not want to miss Vision Weekend because it's very important to find out where we're going as a church. And you guys will be included in that. I don't want to just throw things on you, and I want you guys to be a part of it. So that will be next weekend. But this weekend, today, you get to hear from a good friend of mine, David Moffitt. He's going to come and bring the word to you today. It's kind of a standalone service. What that means is, is his sermon has nothing to do with any series that we have been a part of. But it's got to do with what God put on his heart for you guys today. So will you do me a favor and give David a great big Springs welcome and just say, thank you for being with us, David. Got to turn on the mic before it works, right? How's everybody doing today? Hey, so um, as PB said, uh, actually, before I get into this, I just want to take, take a second and just say thank you. Um, it's an honor and a privilege to, to come up here and do this, and uh, just thank you. I can't tell you what it means to me uh, that you would see the calling on my life uh, that God has placed and that you would, you would trust me to, to, to bring this to the church. So isn't our pastor amazing, guys? Give it up for Pastor Brian. We love him, love his family, all of them, Ian, Bailey, even Matt and Kirsten that are here now, um, pa- Emily, uh, everybody, love them all, even the dogs. And Opa, can't forget Opa. I think he's in the back somewhere. Hey, but listen, PB said, said it, it's, a, it's a standalone weekend, right? And so he said, hey, uh, you want to you wanna speak? And I said, absolutely. And he said, it's a standalone weekend. You're not a part of any, any series. So whatever God's speaking to you. Now, for somebody like me, that's a little dangerous, Okay, because all of a sudden I had like 20 different sermons I wanted to preach. I was like, oh, we're going to talk about this, and then we're going to talk about this, and we're going to talk about that. And I told, I told PB, I was like, hey, I'm just going to do a, a mixtape compilation. And he said, that's probably not the best thing. So, so we met, and again, I said it last time, if, if you ever hear about PB and I meeting, you never have to wonder where it is. It's always the exact same spot. It's always the exact same time. It's at the Poke place at 1130. So if you're trying to get a hold of PB and they say he's meeting with David, just come to the poke place. We'll be there. It's amazing. If you haven't had it, it's chunks of raw fish. Absolutely love it. Uh, but I sat down and I talked to him and, and he said, hey, what are you thinking? And I gave him a couple, a couple of thoughts and, and he asked me about this one that I'm talking about today, John chapter 3. And John chapter 3 is near and dear to my heart, okay? I was raised, I was born into a Southern Baptist family, Okay. So John chapter 3 was ingrained in me at a really young age. I don't think my parents were allowed to take me home from the hospital until I memorized John 3.16. Okay? That's what it's all about. John chapter 3, John 3.16. All of us know it. Most of us, the first Bible verse we, we, we memorize. Uh, but, but Pastor Brian asked me about this, and I, I told him that I've been stuck in John chapter 3 in my personal study time for three years. Every time I'm, I'm like, all right, God, we're going to sit down. We're going to study the Bible. Show me something. Boom, John chapter 3. I'm like, okay, cool. Next time I sit down, all right, we're going to study. Show me something, God. 
Boom, chapter, John chapter 3. Sweet, for three years this has been going on, three years. So hopefully there's something in what we're going to talk about today <laughs> that's been seasoned over three years that's going to be good for everybody in here. So uh, we're going to talk about the whole chapter today. And, and when I was sitting down trying to, trying to come up with a, a title for this message, the, the, the title I got was Life. Say life. I think John chapter 3 teaches us a lot about life, about what it is to be a Christian, what it is to deal with other people from the perspective of Jesus and how to live your life in a great way. So we're going to talk about the whole chapter. I'm going to paraphrase a lot, okay? But we are going to look at some, some key verses, okay? So we're going to start in the very beginning, John chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Okay, this man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these things unless God is with him. Jesus answered him and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, so there's a lot in these first three verses. Okay, first of all, Nicodemus. Okay, Nicodemus means conqueror of the people. That doesn't have anything to do with the message. I think it's a cool name. Okay. Um, but Nicodemus, it says he was a ruler of the Jews. He was, he was part of the, the Pharisees. Okay. He was, he was a Pharisee. And he was part of this, the, this sect uh, called the, the, the Sanhedrin. Okay. So he was, he was one of the top guys. He knew the Jewish scriptures. He knew the law. He knew their, their Bible, if you will. He knew the Torah. Okay. And so he knew what he was talking about. And if we actually go back to the end of John chapter 2, it says that Jesus did a lot of miracles and a lot of people believed, okay? When I read that at the end of John chapter 2 and then I see that, that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and he was a leader of the Jews, what that tells me is Nicodemus was probably one of those ones, okay, that believed when he saw what Jesus was doing. And he even says it. He says, we know you're from God because Nobody could do what you do if they weren't from God. But he wasn't sure enough to come to Jesus during the daytime. He came to Jesus at night because he still had to reconcile in his mind. You see, this is what I know. This is what we expect the Messiah to be. This is what we're waiting to see. And yeah, you've done some of it, but it's not exactly meeting our expectations. So I want to come and talk to you and in secret and see if I can get a little bit more. And that's us. A lot of times in our life, a lot of times in our life, we know something, right? And then God reveals something, and we have to wrestle with it. God shows us something that is so evident and so true, but it goes against everything we know and everything we believe, and we have to say, hold on. I got to think about this. I got to understand this. Right? And we see that in, in verse 12, Jesus says to him, he says, If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe when I tell you heavenly things? Jesus is telling Nicodemus, because basically what Jesus tells Nicodemus is, you got to be born again to get into the kingdom of heaven. And that just blows Nicodemus' in mind. He's like, wait, 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 wait. I'm an old guy. I got gray hair. I'm not crawling back up in the womb to be born again. It doesn't work that way. So Nicodemus can't wrap his head around it. And Jesus tries to break it down for him and tries to explain it to him. And he still doesn't get it. So finally, Jesus just says to him, listen, man, I'm telling you about stuff I know. We're telling you about stuff we've seen, and you're not getting it. How can I go any deeper with you? 
And that's the first place we come in our, in our, our life, in our, in our walk with Christ. Is, and it's the first point in the message is we have to understand that we don't have to understand. You see, if we try and figure it out, we're never going to get there. If we could figure out God with our brain, he's probably not God. I wouldn't want to eternally serve a God that I knew everything about. It doesn't make sense to me. Because if I can figure him out with my capacity and my brain, then how can I expect him to be the one that created everything? That created all of eternity. That created all of the universe. I don't even know how a tree is green, but God created it to do that. It has something to do with chlorophyll, right? Any, any Billy Madison fans? More like borophyll. No? Okay. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> there always is going to come a point in your life, guys, where what you know conflicts with what God is showing you. That's the point of salvation. That's that first decision, right? We have to believe in our heart and confess with our tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so if we... If we always are trying to understand what God is doing, we're never gonna, going to see the fullness of what God has for us. We can do our best. That's why PB's up here every week. That's why he allows others like JD, myself, Brittany, those who have spoken here, to explain kind of some of what God is showing us to help. That's what ministry is for. That's what pastors are for. That's what teachers are for, right, to help. But it's not so that you know everything about God. It's so that you can get core fun foundational principles applied to your life to make your life a little bit easier to navigate. Okay, so moving on. So we keep going, and uh, Jesus has told Nicodemus this. And if you read the story, and, and I'm not going to read the whole thing just for sake of time, but there's this point, and it's, it's at, at verse 14, and I almost I can picture it in my mind. So wherever Jesus went, there was a crowd right? Everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd. So I, I picture Nicodemus coming and talk to him. The disciples are there. The 300 are there. Everybody's there. And Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And then at, at verse 14, Jesus' verbiage kind of changes. And what I, what I think happened when I read it, at least this is what I picture in my mind, is Jesus goes from talking one-on-one -on -one to Nicodemus to now he's addressing everybody, okay? And it's John chapter 3, verse 14. And I'll tell you, this this, this is a side note. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, 14 and 15. And I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be vulnerable with you guys. The reason I like this verse is when I was 18, I was on a, a, a Bible B team, okay? And so what this was, there was 16 of us, and we would go, and, and it was this national tournament, and you would sit in a chair, and there was a little pad under you, and they would say a Bible verse, and if you knew it, you would jump up, and the buzzer would go off, and you would get to say it, and if you said the Bible verse verbatim, you got, to, uh, you got a point for your team, right? And so 16 people on the team, only eight would participate in any given match, and so everybody had their specialties, Okay? And I chose John. That was my specialty. So my job was anytime, if I was one of the eight participating, anytime they, they said John, I wouldn't even let them finish the verse. I would just jump up and I would say all the verses in John that I knew. Okay? And the reason I chose it is because of John 14 and 15. Because John 14 and 15 are very similar to John 3.16. 
And so for me, I was like, oh, I already know John 3.16. Half of my job's done. So I chose it because it was the easy route for me. But it became one of my favorite verses. And it says, as Moses lifted up the serpent into the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes will in him have eternal life. So every time I would read that as a kid, I would think, oh, man, that's exactly, the second verse of this ends the same way as John 3.16. So it's easy. I only have to memorize half the verse. So that's why I made it my specialty. But if you actually look at it, it's a little bit different. There's one key difference. John 3.16, we all know it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. John 14 and 15 says, even as, Moses, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes will in him have eternal life. See, there's the difference. In John 3.16, it says, whosoever believes in him will. John 3.15 says, whosoever believes will in him. You see, this is the second point, guys. The second point is, you, you have to understand that there's a time to acknowledge your sin, and move on. And you can only do that by believing in him. It's believing in him. It's the power in him that brings us to true life change. Okay? And so, if you don't know what this, what this story is about, Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness, you go back to Numbers chapter 21. Okay? Numbers chapter 21 says the Lord sent fiery serpents unto the people uh, so that they bit the people, so that many people in Israel died. Uh, so the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned because the Lord has spoke, we have spoken against you and spoken against the Lord. Um, that he, uh, go pray to the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. The Lord told Moses to build a fiery serpent and lift it up on a stick. Anybody who looks at the fiery serpent will be healed. Okay, I paraphrase that at the end, but... Basic premise of this is, and this cracks me up. So the Israelites had just won this huge battle, okay? And they thought they won the huge battle to enter the promised land, but it wasn't the promised land. They were only actually about halfway there, okay? So then they got to go around and they got to keep going. And they start complaining, which they did a lot when they were in the wilderness. And what the Bible says they complained about is so true in my life. They said, it's hot, there's no water, there's no food. And this food that we have is terrible. That's what they say. They say it's hot, there's no water, there's no food, and the food that we have is terrible. Was there no food or is the food terrible? I know I do that a lot in my life. I say, God, you haven't given me what I wanted, but what you've given me is terrible. Right? I do it all the time. And that's what the Israelites are doing there. See, God had already provided for them, and what they're saying is, what you've provided really isn't enough. So God sent the serpents. Bites the Israelites. A lot of them die. Moses goes and says, hey, we messed up. Can you save us? And he says, put the brass serpent up on the, the stick. Anybody who looks at it will be saved. Sound familiar? It's Jesus. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus. Right? See, we, we go with our sin. And we look at Jesus, and it saves us from death. Just like the Israelites took their sin, they looked at the serpent, and it saves them from death. I love how the Old Testament and the New Testament work together like that. The problem is, I know I do this all the time. 
we look at other people and we look at ourselves and we look at them through the lens of their sin. And instead of lifting up Jesus above their sin and loving them for who Jesus sees them as, we lift their sin up above Jesus and we tell them that they got to throw it down. Now, there is an aspect of laying down your sin at the foot of the cross. But here's the thing, guys. Jesus saying on the cross, why are we trying to stay there? It's time to move on. There's a time to acknowledge your sin and move on from your sin. Then we go, we continue on after this story, and it goes straight into John 3.16. Okay? I'm going to read this from the Passion Translation. Uh, Passion Translation is, is a translation that, that Pastor Brian Simmons uh, put together, and it's amazing. He basically took the original Aramaic, and he basically took it word by word and said, okay, instead of trying to contextualize this, let's pray about every word and see what God's trying to say. So it's a little bit different, okay? So I'm ver- starting with verse 16, it says, uh, where are we at? Okay. For this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish but, ex- but experience everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be the savior and rescue it. So now there is no longer any condemnation for those who believe in him, but understand, uh, but the unbeliever already lives under condemnation because they do not believe in his name of, of God's beloved son. Okay, so what, what this is saying here is we don't have to live in this condemnation under our sin. We don't have to lift up our sin. and We don't have to look at ourselves through the lens of what we did last night, through the lens of what we did yesterday, through the lens of what we did five years ago, ten years ago, right? Here's the thing, guys. The greatest news in human history is this. God doesn't see you in spite of your sin. God sees you without your sin. Jesus' blood washed you clean of your sin. Sin cannot be in the presence of God. You see, we, we sometimes get this thought process that we come to God, this horrible sinner, and we, we, we're there in the presence of God, and he's looking at us as a horrible, filthy, disgusting human being, worse than the dog poop on the bottom of your shoe. But that couldn't be farther from the truth. Sin can't be in the presence of God. If we could come to God in all of our sin, he wouldn't be God. That's why Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died to wash us clean so that when we step in front of God, we are sanctified. We are holy. We are perfect in our creation. That's the best news in human history, guys. That's what John 3.16 is all about. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what you did. Doesn't matter what you're going to do. Jesus died on the cross, and he either died on the cross for all sin, for all eternity, both past, present, and future, or he didn't do anything. Now, I will say this side note, sidebar, that doesn't give you a free license to sin and do whatever the heck you want. Okay, it doesn't. Okay, there's an aspect of maturing and growing and loving God. Anybody who's married in here or in a committed relationship about to be married, right, you know this. 
You don't cheat on your, your spouse. You don't cheat on your significant other. And you don't do it because somebody told you not to, right? You don't do it just because your pastor said don't cheat on your spouse. No, you do it because you love them so much, you couldn't imagine putting that pain into their heart, right? It's the same way with God, right? We don't sin and we don't do these things that cause pain to God, not because he told us not to. We do it because we don't want to cause him pain. We don't want to cause him grief. We don't want to put that pain in his heart. That's the power of Jesus. That's the power of grace. What is grace? Grace is the enablement to live the life that God intended you to leave. Grace enables you to walk in the fullness of what God has for you. Mercy forgave your sin. Grace lets you move forward. All right. Back to the message. All right. So point number three, guys, with all this, all that to get to point number three. We got to stop worrying about the judgment and just love. That's what we got to do. We, it's funny. PB and I have been talking about this. We talked about it in, the, in the, the, the dream team meeting this morning. It's all about love. We were talking about discipleship and, and Jesus' example of discipleship. And Jesus' example of discipleship is really simple. Just love people. I love that that's one of the key foundations of the spring is love people where they are and help them into the next step of their life. I know I paraphrase that, PB. I know it's not exactly as it's written, but <laughs> that's, my, that's my translation. Right? We got to stop worrying about judgment. We got to stop worrying about judging ourselves. We got to stop worrying about judging others. You know, it's, it's funny that, that we're in Utah, right? Because when I started studying this, Jennifer and I lived in San Diego. And in San Diego, I've always had a heart for, for the LDS church, even before we came to Utah. And in San Diego, when, when the Mormon missionaries would come, most people would slam their door, close their blinds, turn off the lights, and pretend no one's home. Not me. I'd invite them in. Let's go. Let's talk. Let's just, let's just be friends, right? And what I noticed is everybody would always lift up what they thought was wrong about the LDS church above the people. And they wouldn't think about the person sitting in front of them. They would think about what they thought was wrong about the theology. When in reality, that doesn't matter. What matters is loving the person and letting Jesus and letting Holy Spirit teach them the truth. And that's where this whole thing came out of. The first time I read John chapter 3 and it, it jumped out at me, it was about loving people where they are. It was about loving the LDS church where they are. It was about loving the homosexual community where they are. It was about loving the atheist community where they are. Here's the thing. God loves them where they are. He doesn't love them any less in their sin than he loves them out of their sin, just like he doesn't love them any less than he loved you when you were in your sin. And it's because of his love that he wants to help people move out of their sin. He wants to help people move into good theology. He wants to help people move into an understanding of who they are and whose they are. That's what it's about. We've got to stop worrying about judgment, guys. We've got to stop worrying about our judgment. We've got to stop worrying about other people's judgment and just love people. 
When the Pharisees asked Jesus what the greatest commandment is, he said, love the Lord God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said, the second greatest commandment is to love others as you love yourself. Right? Now we read that, and we think, okay, so I'm supposed to love others in the same way as I love myself. So my measure of love for myself dictates my love for others. I don't know if that's 100% what Jesus was thinking. I think that word as right there means doing it at the same time. Loving yourself where you're at while you're loving others where they're at. And figuring out this life together. That's what it's about, guys. Figuring out this life together. There's always going to be people that are bringing you up. That's how it should be. But you should be doing it together. When PB and I meet, he's pouring into me. But we're doing it together. We're doing it together. He's, he's my mentor. He's my pastor. He's the one I look up to. But when we're meeting, we're doing it together. He asks me questions sometimes. But I ask him more questions. It's funny, man. PB and I are the same, the same type of person. We just love to ask questions. So when we're meeting together, it's just question, 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 question. question. It's, like when, it's like when you're reading Jesus. Somebody asks him a question and he asks him a question back. That's how it is with me and PB. It's like we're trying to one-up each other. Who's got the better question here? Who's going to make the other one think more? Who's going to make the other one pause and go, hmm, a little bit more? But that's what it's about, guys. It's about doing it together. So then we go on, right? So we, we have this story of Nicodemus, right? And he's really confused. And he's got to understand that he doesn't have to understand and then we go on and, and we see this, this beautiful note about God's love, right, and about forgiveness. And we need to acknowledge our sin, but then let him forgive us and not worry about judgment. And then the scene shifts. And we see John the Baptist. And we see this in verse 29. Uh, or it actually starts in verse 18, 19. Sorry, 20. Verse 20. Um, but John the Baptist is baptizing people in Anan by Selim. And I love this. This is another sidebar. I do this a lot. But why was John the Baptist baptizing people where they were? Because there was enough water there. That's literally what it says. It says, John the Baptist was baptizing people in Anon by Selene because there was much water there. It wasn't about the special place. It was because there was water. And that's how it was in the church. Oh, there's water? Let's show people we love Jesus. Blah. <laughs> right? Anyways, this is just sidebar. So John the Baptist is there, and his, John the Baptist's disciples get in a fight with a Jew about the fact that Jesus is baptizing people in another city, and everybody's going to Jesus. And they're like, John, are you okay with this? Right? We see in verse 29, John the Baptist says, or actually in verse 28, he says that, that I told you I'm not the Messiah. And then in verse 29, he says, uh, he who is the bridegroom, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly for the bridegroom because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made filled. This speaks personally to me, okay? This speaks very personally to me. I got, I had the honor and the privilege um, in... 2016, I think it was. Um, my my best friend in the world, second only to my wife, um, 
was getting married. And he asked me if I would do him the honor of doing the wedding, performing the wedding. And I was like, man, that's, that, that honor is mine. You're not, I'm, I'm not doing you an honor. You're doing me an honor. So Jennifer and I got to walk through uh, premarital counseling with him and, and everything. And, and we got to, I got to be there on a special day. And I know they're going to listen to this. So hello, Marquez family. Gio, Brittany, Bravery, Sayla, love you guys. Hopefully we'll see you soon. But anyway, um, I got to be there. And, and there was this moment at the, at the, the wedding ceremony where, where Gio and I were standing back behind the altar off to the side right before it started. And we were talking. And I got to hear his voice. And I got to hear his excitement about marrying his wife and stepping into this new covenant. And that made me so happy. I I, I just cried. Because to see, to be the friend of the bridegroom and see what it meant to him to have that anticipation to see his wife just filled me with so much joy. And that's what, that's what John the Baptist is talking about here. He's saying, listen, it doesn't matter if people are going to Jesus to get baptized. I'm the forerunner. I'm the one that got to go before him. I'm the bridegroom. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I just get to be happy that I hear his voice. I'm just happy that I get to be around and I get to hear it. Just like I was on the wedding day, I, just, I was happy to be a part of it. I was happy to be a part of Gio and Brittany's wedding. I was happy to see the smile on their face. And that brings me to my last point. True joy comes from being close enough to hear his voice. You see, we walk through this journey of the Christian life and we have to go through these different stages where we have to reconcile what we know versus what God is showing us. We have to acknowledge and turn from our sins. We gotta stop worrying about judgment and just love people. And then we gotta get to this point where we find true joy. And the only way you're gonna find that true joy is by being close enough to hear his voice. It's through intimacy. It's through intimacy. It's spending that personal time with God. It's spending that time in your prayer life, maybe not talking all the time, but listening. It's about being in the word. It's about reading. It's about studying. It's about meditating. You may be stuck in the same chapter for three years. That's okay. You learn a lot. But if you want that true joy, it comes from that intimate relationship. And to be close enough to hear somebody's voice, especially when it's a whisper, you got to be pretty intimate. The disciple that was closest to Jesus laid his head on his chest. You ever think about that? John probably heard the heartbeat of God. It's amazing when you think about it. So that John laid his head on Jesus' chest. Put your chest, your head on somebody's chest, you hear their heartbeat. 
John heard the heartbeat of God. That's where joy comes from. That's intimacy. That's where we got to get. It's not always easy. It's discipline. But if you get there, people will see that joy in your life and they'll want to know what's going on. And it makes discipleship a lot easier. It makes it easier to live life with somebody when you're living life with God. It's easier to be transparent when you have that intimacy. It's easy to tell people when you mess up when you're not worried about judgment. I know I could tell PB when I mess up and he's not going to judge me. I know I could tell PB when I get in an argument with my wife and he's not going to tell me, sorry, he can't speak on Sunday. <laughs> By the way, Jennifer and I don't argue much. I'm not trying to say we fight all the time. <laughs> this is just an example. But here's the thing, guys. We've we got to get to this point. And it's steps. It's a process. You're not going to get there overnight. Nobody's telling you to. But the way you start that process is by making a decision. No matter where you are on the scale, whether you're in the point where you got to make a decision that maybe what I don't know doesn't line up with what God's telling me and I just got to accept this Jesus, that may be the decision you got to make. Maybe the decision you got to make is, I got something in my life that I got to turn from. Maybe, and I have a feeling this is most people, you got to make the decision in in your life that God's forgiven me, I'm going to forgive me. I'm going to stop judging myself. I'm going to stop judging others. And maybe the decision you have to make is I'm going to be close enough to hear his voice. I'm going to find that joy. I know in a room this size there may be somebody here who's in one of those places. We're all in one of those places. But most importantly, there may be somebody in that first spot. That first spot where you're like, you know what? I got a lot of stuff in my mind that I'm wrestling with. I'm ready to say, all right, God. I'm gonna trust what you say, even if I don't understand it. I'm gonna make this decision to follow Jesus. And PB has said it, and I, I feel the same way. I feel like we would we would be doing a disservice to our community and to everybody in here if we didn't give you a chance to make that decision. So this is what we're going to do. I want everybody to close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. And, and, and we don't do this because it's some secretive thing. We, we want people to feel comfortable, right? So if that's you, if you're in that place where you know it, you know what? I need to find Jesus. What I understand and what God's telling me don't line up, but you know what? I'm just going to take a leap of faith here. Maybe you're in the place where you've done that. You believe in Jesus, but you're in the place where I got to acknowledge my sin and move away from it. I want to pray for you too. Maybe you're in the place where you got to give yourself some forgiveness. You got to give others forgiveness. And it's time to love. If that's you, I want to pray for you too. So we're going to pray for everybody here in a second.
But before we do that, with every, bow, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you in either one of those spots, I just want you to throw your hand up when I count to three. Not because I, I want to look at you differently. Not because I want to go, ooh, look at you. No, it's because I want to know, one, who I'm praying for. And two, Jesus said, if you acknowledge me in front of men, I will acknowledge you in front of my Father. So there's something about acknowledging Jesus in front of others. So if that's you, any one of those three, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now I'm going to pray for everybody, but first I want to pray for those that are in that first group. That are in that first group that, that you know what, I know what I know, and I know what God is saying. They don't necessarily line up, but I'm going to accept Jesus, and I'm going to believe that he died for me for all eternity. So if that's you, I want you to, to, to just say this prayer in your heart. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for dying on the cross for me. I thank you that you rose again on the third day so that I can have eternal life. God, I thank you that you sent your one and only son to do that very thing for me. God, I thank you that you cared enough for me and who I am to make it personal. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Direct my path from this day forward. Now, I want to pray for everybody else. Papa God, we just thank you so much for this amazing opportunity, God. And for those people that raised their hand, whether whether they're in the spot where they need to forgive themselves and, and, and move on from their sin or if they're in this place where they need to forgive others and just start loving. God, I pray that you would just soften everybody's heart, that you would make it real in their heart, that their head and their heart would line up. God, that they, that they would feel your love when they look at somebody else. And more importantly, that they would feel your love when they look in the mirror. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see ourselves and see others the way you see us and the way you see others. That we would love people the way you do, that our heart would break for people the way yours does. God, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you that you brought us all here to St. George for whatever reason you did. We thank you for this amazing church. Thank you for this awesome opportunity. And we just pray that we'd be able to take this and live it out day to day for the rest of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.